0: DJ Tice and John Rash from the Star Tribune are here playing politics. Longtime partnership between WCC Radio and the Star Tribune. Two major topics today. What's uh, continuing to take place in Ukraine and the confirmation hearings of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Let's start with the president leaving today here. for Brussels meetings with NATO the EU and G7. John, you first, and then DJ, you jump right in. The significance of this trip, what most importantly may come out about these meetings, John?
1: Continuity in the unity. And I think that President Biden has done a remarkable job in trying to pull together allies one by one and then collectively not just in NATO nations, but in those European nations that don't belong to the alliance, and also Asian and Pacific democracies that have a strong stake in maintaining a rules-based international order. And they have been unanimous in terms of decrying the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and more importantly, levying really severe sanctions, as well as arming Ukrainians to defend their nation. He wants to make sure that None of that slips, and indeed, that it's strengthened, and that'll be the focus of his trip as he heads over to Europe.
0: Doug, what do you think? Well, I think that's
2: right. Uh, it's a matter of symbolizing, expressing, and 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 affirming the solidarity and the uh, policy that they're they're pursuing, and uh, so far, uh, successful certainly in uh, the sense of hanging together, and there is a sense that uh, it's having. A powerful effect on the Russian economy and, uh, you know, presumably on adding to uh, Putin's uh, problems and regrets, perhaps, uh, about uh, what he's gotten himself into.
0: Doug, we're seeing more reports. I mean, we have these numbers of 3.5 million refugees, uh, 10 million displaced from their home. But the last couple of days, there has been more reporting of Ukrainians actually heading back to their homes and saying we're going to try to live our lives or we're going to continue to join this fight. We've all talked about how amazing this is, the resilience that has been demonstrated. But as you watch that part of it, how significant could that be if some of these numbers start turning a little bit for maybe not as many as the folks who have entered Poland and the other nearby countries, but the other folks who are going back and what either symbolically that might mean or what it means to the the path of this war over the next few weeks. Well, I'm no
2: military uh, analyst or, or expert, uh, but I do think it's a kind of an old principle in military affairs is that if you're the attacking force and you are not moving forward, you're losing. Uh, at a certain point and it seems that a possibility uh, here is that we've reached some kind of stasis and I think that's what you're describing as a possibility if they actually you know start to perceive this as a stalemate where they can return to uh, to homes and cities and so on Uh, you know if that's the case um, it could very well become an an unviable situation for the uh, for the Russians that said you know I think we should be cautious Any time in the midst of war, the information that we're getting is, uh, let's say, not 100 percent reliable. It's always coming with a purpose uh, and the sources are are limited. You know, so there's there's a fog of war, uh, especially at the distance that we're trying to make sense of these events.
0: John, how about that part when you see these stories and, you know, obviously it could change quickly. But it's not just a small number when when multiple outlets are reporting this.
1: Indeed. And Doug, DJ talked about the remarkable resilience of Ukrainians in on the battlefield and also their citizens. And, you know, they have impressed and inspired the world for the defense of their democracy and their homeland. And when you have some of their citizens returning, that'll only steal that resolve in terms of. The perceived stalemate that DJ rightfully identified are in terms of you know, not moving forward, an official assessment from the Institute for the Study of War, which was released recently just late last week, talked about indeed just that, that uh, they say Ukrainian forces have defeated the initial Russian campaign of this war. The campaign aimed to conduct airborne and mechanized operations to seize Kyiv, Kharkiv, Odessa and other major Ukrainian cities to force a change in government in Ukraine. That campaign has culminated. Russian forces continue to make limited advance in some parts of the theater, but are very unlikely to be able to seize their objectives in this way. And so D.J. is prescient in terms of, you know, they're not moving forward. And this is tragically why we see some of the extraordinarily brutal tactics that President Biden late last week referred to uh, President Putin as a war criminal in terms of the targeting of the citizenry of Ukraine in indiscriminate attacks, and it's because they can't advance militarily. And so, you know, the tragedy and the fear is that those attacks may get worse as they continue to slip on the battlefield.
0: Speaking of uh, dis- diplomacy, the news has broken in the last 15 minutes that the first-ever female Secretary of State in our country's history, Madeleine Albright, has passed away. John, when you think about the work Madeleine Albright did, Considering what is taking place right now, what what, what strikes you most?
1: Well, of course, she was a pioneer because she was the first female secretary of state. And yet she was rooted in deep tradition in terms of believing America to be the indispensable nation, believed very strongly in multilateral alliances. She used to speak of, quote, assertive multilateralism to describe her philosophy, and she You know, understood very well, almost exactly what we're seeing right now. Her family, of course, had fled Czechoslovakia to escape Nazism and then eventually communism. So she knew what happened when, you know, America and other democracies were unable to assert that that kind of um, approach to the rest of the West, let alone the world. So she did it all with very blunt language at times that actually went over, I think, quite well with the American public. I had the opportunity to interview her a few years ago, and she was as sharp as ever in analyzing what was going on in the world, how different administrations since her tenure had performed, good and bad, Democratic and Republican. And on a very human level, she shared with me how much she loved the CBS show Madam Secretary, which, of course, was loosely based on her and It was something that she followed and and took part in in terms of conversations with the producers. So she enjoyed life, understood, you know, pop culture and and its um, effect on Americans as well. And uh, America has indeed lost a a true leader and, and as I mentioned, a true pioneer.
0: Let's pause right there. I want to come back and we'll start with Doug on this one. Uh, Thoughts specifically and broadly on how it has played out with uh, a day and a half of questioning Uh, Questioning for uh, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, she, of course, will be the first female black Supreme Court justice, uh, President Biden's first nominee. Uh, It has been contentious. I don't think anybody's surprised about it. The nominations for President Trump were contentious also. Back with uh, DJ Tice and John Rash in a matter of moments here on CCO. Right back with our plain politics with the Star Tribune editorial board, DJ Tice and John Rash with us. John, I chuckled when people said, Well, you know, you look at this one because Judge Jackson is going to replace Judge Breyer and it's a uh, perceived liberal for liberal. It's not going to be as contentious. I chuckled, didn't see that happening. It has not lived up to it. Um, it has been contentious. It has been in some ways about the Kavanaugh hearings and about Barrett and about Gorsuch. When you look at this hearing, what you've consumed so far, how do you think it does compare with the hearings for the Trump nominees uh, and just switching who has been more aggressive in their questioning and in what areas has it been different?
1: You know, to go full circle in the conversation, we're touting democracy and we're talking about, um, you know, projecting and protecting that for the world. And if you look at all of those hearings that you mentioned, including this one, this is not the example that you would want to show on how a well-functioning democracy for particularly for such a profound lifetime position should move forward. And. You know, I would just say quickly before we hear Doug, I would say that as much as, you know, it's a hearing about the judges, potentially justices um, criteria, it seems to be a tryout for three potential presidential candidates, Senators Hawley, Cotton and Cruz. And that's unfortunate if that's what it's devolved to.
0: It was a little bit of that for the Democrats, though, also, wasn't it, Doug?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, gonna, I to, you know, I, I think, don't think this is a very edifying spectacle, and it is too bad that what has become of our confirmation process. But I, I must say, I can't be very impressed with the contentiousness of this hearing uh, compared with what we've seen. Uh, you know, it strikes me that Jackson is being criticized for being soft on sex offenders. Well, Kavanaugh was accused of being a sex offender and was, you know, in effect put on national for being a sex offender. Uh, Clarence Thomas, 30 years ago, a very similar uh, kind of uh, pillorying uh, over old uh, allegations of, of sex offenses. Uh, you know, he's now been in the hospital this week, as we know, um, still on the court uh so compared with those hearings or for that matter the Bork uh hearing of the of the 1980s which was really a moment when the polarization of America began if there ever was one uh one moment that defines when something changed uh in America i don't i don't think this is a particularly contentious hearing that said uh you know i think it's unfortunate that we can't have more substantive and respectful discussion of of what our you know, really important issues. Uh, you know, this has become a political exercise. It's really about the senators in both parties putting uh, markers in the ground for the issues that they want people to be thinking about. Not, it's not really about the the, the candidate. Uh, it's uh, it's about the opportunity to make these political arguments and. The Republicans want to run on the idea that Democrats are soft on crime, and that's what they're spending an awful lot of time uh, pounding away so, on. It doesn't put the court or or Judge Jackson, uh, but that's what they're doing.
0: So let me ask you this about Kavanaugh. Aren't there still some unanswered questions about Kavanaugh and the allegations? I think it's clear there were some parts and questions about Uh, Senator Feinstein and and when she revealed the information and there was one of the allegations that fell apart. But when I watch it this week, I get the impression that from Republicans that everything fell apart. And if this would have been, uh, let's say it would have been Senator Clinton and Senator Clinton's nominee had had these allegations, again, allegations come up don't you think Republicans would, Doug, have done the exact same thing during the uh, whoever the Judge Kavanaugh was for then-President Clinton?
2: I don't know. Uh, oh, I really on. don't know you, how. Yes, yes, I do. don't know how to predict it. Uh, I don't, honestly. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, you, you can't make much of an argument out of a prediction of what would have happened under some... Other set of circumstances, what I do know is that the three most contentious Supreme Court confirmation hearings in American history were Democrats roasting Republican nominees. And I don't think anybody can dispute. it.
0: John, Bork, is, is Doug Trump's right in that part? And Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think D.J. certainly makes a point on the inflection point that the Bork hearings represented and how that has escalated to nearly every aspect of American life, let alone what happens on Capitol Hill. And I think that all of us and probably all of your listeners, Chad, can agree that for these positions, and you think there are nine on the court at any given time, and it seems like you know every other year, every third year, we have one of these, that the fact that it can't have more gravity and more significance then in this particular case, you know, what um, the the judge thinks about a book that's in the the private school system in Washington, D.C., one of the issues that Senator Cruz brought up, it has to be better than that. And I think that, um, you know, it's unfortunate, D.J. is quite right, that that it was very contentious with Justice Kavanaugh and, um, and Barrett as well, but we need to move beyond this because these are lifetime appointments, and the Supreme Court traditionally had reservoir of goodwill of more Americans than the executive hey, John, or, 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 uh, or other branches. I agree with your so point. Unfortunately, gotta we
0: are, yeah. we're late. i got to jump in. Yeah, gravity both ways. I'd, I'd love to see it.